Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. As we continue to talk about the kingdom of God, I, I want to start with Matthew chapter 6 and look at the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples and gives to us as the model of the prayer. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not yet, but it will be. Give us today the food we need, emotional, spiritual, physical, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So we need to be mindful that we're not holding grudges from other, on, to others that we forgive people even when they don't ask for it. And then the last one, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Well, if, if we're, as we talk about the kingdom of God, I think it's important that we also know about the kingdom of evil, the evil one. When he says, rescue us from the evil one, we're, we're in a battle, actually. We're in a battle. It's a fight for the death, really. There's a kingdom of darkness as well as the kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of terror as well as the kingdom of love, a kingdom of death versus the kingdom of life, a kingdom of Satan, and a kingdom of Jesus Christ. And one must choose sides carefully. In fact, to not choose, well, that is to your own detriment. So I, I want us to back up. If we're going to understand the kingdom of evil, I want us to back up to Ezekiel chapter 28. And um, we're going to talk about, well, there, there was this literal king, actually, in the first 11 verses in Ezekiel, God is talking directly to that king. <clears throat> but verse 12, things change a little bit. So we're going to start with verse 12, uh, about this king of uh, Tyre. And Tyre is in southern Lebanon, and it's still there today. It's over 4,000 years old, imagine that. So Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, and he names... Uh, all these different stones, nine, actually nine of the 12 stones that were worn on the breastplate of the Israel's high priest. All, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest goal. Maybe these precious stones uh, symbolize Satan's beauty and high position. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. 
So God had anointed Satan as a guardian, a cherub. A a cherub, they were this inner circle of angels that had the closest access to God, and they guarded his holiness. So Satan had free, he, he was... He was in a unique position. He had free access to God's holy mount or heaven, and he walked among the fiery stones. Now, fiery stones, we're we're not sure exactly what their identity is. Maybe they were this fiery wall of protection, not that God needed to be protected. Maybe it was protect anyone that came into the presence of holy God because they would be consumed. But... This guy, this angel, Lucifer, was given access to that most inner sanctum of holy God. So whatever its exact identification, Ezekiel was stating that God gave Lucifer access to his presence. Verse 15, you were blameless, blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with many, your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes and the fire in the sight of all who were watching, all who knew You are appalled at your fate. And you had, and maybe he's talking about all the other angels, because all the angels would have known exactly who this guy was. You have come to a terrible end and you will exist no more. So now, here in Ezekiel, we're presented the complete fall of Satan as a single act but it actually occurs in stages. So Satan's initial judgment was his expulsion from the position of God's, as his anointed cherub uh, before his throne. And God has expelled him from the mount of God. So Satan was cast from God's government in heaven, but yet he was still allowed to have access to God. And we read about that in Job. So there are stages to this destruction. Now, the destruction is going to be complete. It's already been pronounced. And when God pronounces something, it's a done deal. Nothing can change it. But the Bible gives us the stages that this judgment's going to be carried out. So the next stage, well, that will be his punishment during the tribulation. He will be restricted even more so from God, and he will be cast out of heaven, and he'll be restricted just to earth. 
And then there's going to be a thousand year reign that he will be restricted to the bottomless pit, according to Revelation 20. And then at the end of that thousand years, he'll have a brief release in Revelation 27 through 9. And then finally, he will be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20:10, forever. So the stages are in process. But the judgment is complete because it's already been passed by God himself. You know, any of our military people in our church, they would tell you that in warfare, it's absolutely essential and necessary that you not underestimate your enemy. You, you have to know your enemy or you set yourself up for potential disaster. So this passage that we're looking at pulls away the mask, so to speak, from Satan, and we can see him for who he really is. And you and I must not be ignorant about this, and that's why we're going to spend some time today talking about this prince of the world, the prince of the air. And here's, here's just a reminder. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So we are actually foreigners in this kingdom, and we're actually living in hostile territory. This is where we are now, and we're living in the enemy's territory. That's why we deal with the stuff we deal with. In Revelation 2.13, it says, I, I know, and this is uh, Jesus talking to the church at uh, Pergamon, and he says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. So basically, he, Jesus is saying, hey, you're living in hell's headquarters. Well, that, that might be a good reminder to us that you, you and I are citizens of another kingdom but in the meantime, we're living in hell's headquarters. We're, we're living in Satan's territory. And that's why we struggle. That's why we deal with the stuff we deal with. That's why the world is the way it is. In John 14, Jesus said, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of the world approaches Satan. He has no power over me. What a great reminder. Uh, you know, the, the king of, uh, of Tyre is, is kind of a cryptic name, a symbolic name for Satan. Uh, this, this king became a type or a picture of the devil himself. Now, there was a literal king in that area, and, and we read about him in the first 11 verses in Ezekiel. Um, and so then the word changes, and in verse 12, God starts talking to the power behind the throne. And, and so God spoke a word of judgment to that king, and then God went beyond that king and began to speak to the power behind that king. Because you see, that, that king was an egomaniac. 
He, he literally was. He had this idea that he was God himself. But he wasn't coming up with that on his own. There was a power behind him, and that's who God starts dealing with in this passage. You know, there, there was someone putting suggestions in this wicked king's mind, and it was the devil himself. And so now the devil is being addressed through this human king. And several times in the Bible, God did that. In the Garden of Eden, God addresses the devil directly through the serpent. And he spoke to the serpent because the serpent that spoke was, was speaking for the devil. He was the emissary of the devil himself when he spoke to Adam and Eve. You'll, you'll find the same thing in Caesarea Philippi. That, that's where Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ. And, and, and that's when Jesus said, upon this rock, that faith, I will build my church. Well, after that, Jesus began to tell his disciples, he, he said, I, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be killed. And the Bible says that Peter took Jesus aside to reprimand him. That took a lot of guts. He's going to reprimand Jesus. And he basically said, hey, this is not, as long as I'm around, this is not going to happen to you. And so what did Jesus say? Matthew 16, 33, Jesus turned to Peter, but he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So was Jesus talking to Peter or to the devil? Well, I believe he was talking to the devil through Peter. And when he looked at Peter, he said, get away from me, Satan. So God is not primarily talking to the king here in Ezekiel now. He, he's talking to the power behind the throne, the one who motivated and manipulated that ancient wicked king. And so we're going to learn some things about the devil today. And I, heard, I hope you learn them well because listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. We need to be familiar. I believe most believers are actually very naive when it comes to the evil one. And that's why they get in the mess that they get in from time and time again. So I, I want to deal with a couple of questions. And some of them are very obvious. And I think we need to just deal with it and understand what we can from Scripture. The first question <clears throat> that I think we need to ask did God create the devil? That's a good question, right? I mean, if he created the devil, why, did, why would he do that? So you, now you guys, you've seen beautiful things, right? I mean, you, you've seen things, oh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But in all the beauty you've ever seen, there were always flaws, always flaws. The devil, when God created him, was perfect beauty, flawless, absolute perfection. 
So let's go back to Ezekiel 28. He said, son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom. This is, this is Lucifer the, who becomes the devil, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. And, and I mean, he was, he was beautiful from the moment he was created. All beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. Perfection. You had access to the holy mountain of God. You walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. So God created this creature. Isaiah tells us that his name is Lucifer, which can be interpreted son of the morning. And this creature that God created was surpassing in beauty and wisdom. And then the Bible speaks of all these precious gems. There were rubies and diamonds and emeralds. And uh, he, so that he lived in a kingdom of exquisite mineral beauty, very much like the kingdom that you and I are going to live in one day. And then... The Bible talks about, especially in the Old Testament, about a mountain and, and actually gives this sense of the government of God. And we speak of that prophecy where the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the last days. And that literally means the government of God. And, and, um, and this creature was somehow associated with the government of God. We don't know what all that means. Maybe he was put in charge of the affairs of heaven. Maybe he was put in charge of the affairs of the universe. We, we don't know. Maybe he was like a prime minister under the authority of God's vast domain. Verse 14 called him the mighty angelic guardian or anointed. So he was special. He was set aside. He was selected from all the other cherubs. And so when you think of a cherub, listen, don't think of a little fat baby angel. Like on your Valentine cards, that's not a cherub. I mean, these, these creatures are the most powerful creatures God ever made. They were, they're amazing. And, and uh, it was the high, they were the highest rank of order of angels. There, there were angels were ranked by orders, by powers and different ranks and different degrees. And we, we read about archangels. There's a lot we don't know about angels. And in fact, we're warned not to worship angels. Some people get hung up on them. But this angel, this cherubim, he was the highest rank, the highest of the high. He was ordained and anointed, which set him apart. You see, God didn't make baby angels that grew up. He didn't have an angel incub incubator. 
And then when they got ready, he'd let them come out and they'd crawl around and then their wings would eventually sprout out. That's not the way it works. When he created them, they were created as they are right then, perfect. Just they, they were created that way. And you know, whenever I hear of somebody making a statement and Christians do this all the time, when somebody dies, they talk about there's another angel in heaven. That is horrible theology. I don't want to go to heaven and get wings and be like an angel because you and I have a different status, far different. So this angel, maybe, maybe he even had something to do with the worship and the holiness of God, which he did, but maybe, just maybe, He was the angel that received the worship from the universe and then took it through that, those stones of fire directly into the presence of holy God to give it to God. Maybe. Whatever was happening here, whatever this role was, it was unique. It was standalone. And it seems as though he was receiving authority from God to administrate the universe. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, though, in just thinking about this, it's a reminder to us whenever you receive praise, you need to take it and give it to God. So maybe. Lucifer was taking this praise, this worship, then he was taking it in the presence of God. And after a while, he began, I like this worship. I like this. I want it for me. He even made the statement, I, I think I can put my throne, I'm pretty, I'm pretty powerful. I think I can, maybe he started thinking, I can put my throne above God's. It is a dangerous thing when you begin to take on things that belong to God. It it keeps you in a humble state that whenever your praise, the spotlight gets put on you, that you turn around and you give that to holy God. That protects you. It protects you from arrogance, from haughtiness, It protects you from thinking you're all that when you're not. Just a warning. The Bible says in verse 18, you defiled your sanctuaries with many sins and your dishonest trade. Now, sanctuary is a place of worship. So he had really some sort of priesthood. Maybe it was the means of which he received worship and was to give that worship on to God. Whatever, what an amazing individual this creature was. So now to get to the question, did God create the devil? The answer is no. God created a cherub, a mighty angel. God created a perfect being not a hideous creature. God did not make the devil, but 
God gave him a will. He's given all the angels a will, just like he's given you a will. Verse 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. So God did not create the devil. God created a surpassingly beautiful creature, an anointed cherub. But God gave him a choice. So then the second question is, well, what corrupted the devil? Well, Ezekiel 28, verse 15. You were blameless in all that you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. So the first thing was pride. Lucifer became the devil by making commerce of his office. He began to think, I'm so beautiful, I'm so wise, I'm so important, I have too much authority not to have some of it for myself and to receive some of the praise for myself. And so, in essence, his sin literally was pride. There's a very interesting passage in Scripture in 1 Timothy Paul is telling Timothy the requirements of pastors, and and among those requirements in verse 6, it says a church leader must not be a new believer. They're too immature at that point. Because he might become proud. And the devil would cause him to fall. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that happen. It breaks my heart every time. Someone with no experience, brand new believer, feels called to the ministry, and they become a 90-day wonder, and they start growing a church, and it becomes, you know, it becomes a big church, but pretty soon, well, I know a pastor. I know lots of pastors. I know this one pastor he, he has a rule. When he walks in the room, everybody stands up. Oh, what a dangerous ground to be on. I had a young pastor one time call me. He was just starting. And he called me. He said, uh, I just, I want to meet with you. And I said, okay. He said, I'm a really great preacher. I said, all right. He said, I want to be the next cool pastor. I said, okay. You and I need to talk a lot. <laughs> and uh, he was also talking to another very close friend of mine. And we conversed with each other and say, hey, we got to help this guy. We got to help protect him from himself, but protect him from the devil who will cause him to fall. So fortunately, he's listened to us because we've seen it time and time again when man elevates himself and he puts himself on the pedestal, it is never, ever going to end well, ever. Even if they're not a Christ follower, 
In our society, how many times do we watch somebody crawl up on a pedestal and, and want the spotlight on them and their life just ends in a disaster? Verse 17, back in Ezekiel, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you as the curious to the curious gaze of kings. Wow. So that leads me to the second thing that caused the devil to be corrupted was beauty. He was beautiful. I mean, he was the most beautiful thing ever created. Don't get the idea that the devil is some scaly red monster with horns breathing fire today. He's not. He's still a beautiful creature. That's not the idea that we get from the Bible about this Hollywood, Hollywood version of the devil. The, how does the Bible describe him? He, he's called the angel of light. He's the light bearer. And the devil knows how to use beauty. In fact, Hollywood's a prime example of how Satan uses beauty. The whole Playboy empire was built on the use of beauty for the devil's methods. And that's happening today. I, I, I'm still seeing a lot of believers fall into this trap. They're getting caught up into the beauty of themselves, the beauty of their bodies, and they're so focused on that. And I want to tell you, you, you are a setup for the enemy, for the devil, if you get caught up into this lover of beauty. That was one of the downfalls of Satan. Pride and beauty. The third one was wisdom. He was given wisdom. Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the all strategies of the devil. The devil is still wise. He's still beautiful. He's still prideful, but he's still wise. And, and he knows how to snare you. He knows how to set traps for you. He knows how to deceive you. But the Bible tells us to always seek humility, not pride. There is nothing that will make you more like the devil than pride. And there is nothing that will make you more like Jesus than genuine humility. In fact, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus humbled himself. So the third question, legit question, why does God let the devil continue? That's a great question. I've asked myself. I mean, why doesn't God just create another angel that's more powerful than the devil and just take him out? Why doesn't God, you know, put together a couple of angel assassins and go take out the devil? Why didn't he do that? Why does God allow him to continue all his devilish work? Ezekiel 28 again, verse 16. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I, I expelled you, almighty guardian, from the place among the stones of fire. So 
Step number one in God's dealing with the devil is that he cast him out of his place of authority in heaven. That was step number one. Now God in his plan in casting Satan out of heaven, now Satan has become the prince of the power of the air or the God of this age. But why didn't God just destroy him again? That's still the same question. It's because God has a higher plan. I, I, I don't fully understand it, but he does have a higher plan. And that is, it deals with our redemption and our salvation. See, God is not going to destroy the devil with power that is inherently his as God, which he obviously could just by the thought. But God is going to destroy the power of the devil by the power that he has chosen to put in you and me. You see, the devil hates us. The devil sees us as a kingdom of priests of God. He sees us as worshipers of God, and he wanted to worship for himself. He sees us as the ones that are glorifying God, which that was, he was the number one guy for that, and he chose to glorify himself. So the devil hates us. In a way, we've taken on his original role of worship and bringing glory to God. You and I get to go into the presence of God every time we pray and talk to him. We're in his presence. So in a way, we're doing what he used to do in bringing worship and glory to holy God. And the devil hates us. So God in his infinite wisdom that I don't understand and you don't understand, God is going to give to us, his children, the power to overcome the devil through the death of Jesus, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God does not kill the devil, but to the contrary, he put his son on the cross instead. Hebrews 2.14. 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil and the power of death. There's the answer. God doesn't want you, I mean, Satan does not want you to know that. He does not want you to understand Hebrews 2.14. He wants you to forget that it even says that. Now the devil, by deception, and that's the only way he can do it, because he has no more authority. He has no authority over you, but he can deceive you. He has no authority. He cannot make you do anything, but he can deceive you. He can lay traps for you, but he cannot make you go in that trap. He can plant snares for you, but he cannot make you walk into the snare. And that's why you have to have wisdom that only God can give you. So I believe that God allows Satan to continue 
so that God might work out his ultimate plan to redeem us, to give us power, to give us life, to give us greater victory than the, de than the, than the devil himself ever knew. You see, you and I will be something that the devil has never been. And that is joint heirs with Christ. In all of his beauty and all of his power and his status and his one-of-a-kind job that no other angel had, there was one thing he did not have that you and I have. We are joint heirs in Christ. Wow. No wonder he hates us. So one last question. What's going to happen to the devil? Well, this is pretty quick. Verse 19 in Ezekiel 28. All who knew you are appalled at your fate. You have come to a terrible end and you will exist no more. That's what's going to happen to him. In Isaiah 14, Satan is talking here at the beginning. He says, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And here's God's response. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. It's kind of like saying, you're going to be in the fiery pits of hell, but guess what? You're going to be in the basement. You're going to be in the lowest point of the pit. A lot of, you know, some of you as believers even think this, that Satan's, that hell is Satan's domain. That's not true. That's his punishment. And the angels that followed him, that's their punishment. God never intended, never does he desire for a human being to be there in that place. But anybody who rejects Jesus Christ will be there in that place. But Satan will not be your tormentor. He will be in torment. At the moment we see this in Isaiah 14, basically at that moment when this all happens, people will see finally the utter folly, the utter stupidity for following the devil. So there is a kingdom of evil, there is a kingdom of God. You better make sure you know which one you're in. And according to Jesus, it takes a new birth to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So simple question then, have you been born again? That's the question. Have you settled that issue? You see, sin cannot win. It cannot, it will not win. And faith cannot fail. So when you choose faith in Jesus Christ, it will not fail you. And you will be a joint heir with Jesus. Let's pray. Now in the, in the, quiet, the quiet moment of your prayer, I want to ask you a simple question. Have you been born again? If you don't know, you need to know.
If you're not sure, you need to be sure. Because everything hinges on that. I want to ask you as a believer, even as a believer, have you gotten caught up in all this beauty stuff? Have you gotten caught up in that? Always looking for beauty? It's folly. It's a dead end. Pray this prayer. Lord, I want to know for sure. I want to know for sure that I am born again. I give my heart to you. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen.